whispers, sonnets. Join me for a sonnet bedtime treat. Hello, <laughs> it's Friday night and I have had a wonderful evening and I'm so relaxed and just had a bubble bath. And so I love to record these at night when I feel like this. Well, when I feel anyway, because sometimes I record them when I feel bad and they make me feel better. And I thought it was just me, like, is this some crazy phenomenon of me that I turn everything into therapy? Like my poetry is therapy to me. And um, this podcast feels like therapy where I talk to you guys and work things out, I guess, and read poems, but it really has made a huge, um, since I started doing it, I feel better, and I mean, I've been on medication for depression, I've, you know, fought that that battle that way, but this part, um, when I went on medication, my doctor was, you know, trying to get me to go to a therapist too, and I would love to, in a lot of ways, I you know, don't really have the extra cash to do that right now. And, um, you know, so it's a little prohibitive in that way. And, um, anyway, I just right at that same time, I started, I got the invitation to do a podcast. And so, you know, doing this, I thought for me, you know, it's definitely therapy. But then the other night I was watching a documentary on um, comedians called Misery Loves Comedy. And they were um, talking about, or had um, Kevin Smith was one of the comedians on there. And he was talking about, in particular, a podcast and a friend of his who started doing the podcast with him. And how when he started, he was this very depressed person. And he told, he had even confided in Kevin Smith, you know, that he was having, you know, suicidal feelings and all of that. And he had told him, I think this would help you, you know, like to do this podcast. And, and through doing it, his friend completely turned around and it became this beyond just like a successful project. It helped his mentality a lot too. And it was so, I felt good, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, this actually is a thing, you know, that, um, you know, like I, I, I look forward to doing these little talks and I'm, it's amazing to me that people listen to them, but just like, it's amazing to me that people read my books and I'm so very grateful for it. And it's like icing on the cake, but the cake itself is that doing the writing and doing the podcast make me feel better. So if no one else listened to it, which still, please don't do that because God, I mean, like, I see how many people listen. I'd be sad if that were to happen. But at the same time, I would still continue to do it because just like I would continue to write because sometimes your readership goes up and down or you're, you know, the popular person of the moment and then you're not or those different kind of things. But if you're doing it for that reason, um, writing um, or doing like a podcast or something like that, you know, you're set up for failure because it is going to fluctuate. But if you're doing it because, you know, you ultimately, you get something out of the intrinsic act of doing it, well, I mean, then you're set up for success and that's how I feel. So anyway, I'm already just blabbering on and we haven't even introduced what we're talking about today, which is a very exciting episode 
packed with all kinds of dirtiness about butterflies. And I know that sounds weird and maybe kind of random, although I have written a book called Flutter. But um, it, this has actually has one poem from Flutter in this episode, but we have three son- or four sonnets. And a lot of um, them are go in completely different places, <laughs> including sexual places. So it's not all just actual butterflies. But the first poem that I'm going to read is about actual butterflies because I took a a tiny trip um, to a very socially distanced place, which was a butterfly preserve, and um, I just needed to do something, you know, and and, um, connect with something, and it it was just unbelievable. Like, the, I can't even, I mean, it completely changed my whole, mentality again it's just been another thing that I think has been pulling me out of a depression you know that I've you know been have have had for a while but um it was just so overwhelmingly gorgeous um you like from the second that you stepped in through this like airlock that you know kept the butterflies from flying out of what was an enormous um greenhouse but with all completely ventilated everywhere, um, like with air, and that rain could come through, so they had natural, um, like a natural climate, I guess, you know, tropical climate for the butterflies, and from the second you walked in, they were in your face there, everywhere, and it was just overwhelmingly gorgeous, and peaceful, and connection all those things but one of the things that they told you right when you first walked in um, besides the fact they said you know social distancing you know we had to wait um like five minutes before you could go um like from the people before you so that you know there was a big space and um also they said keep watching the ground because a lot of these butterflies are on the ground and I was like, why? I mean, they didn't explain why. And I didn't really, I guess, want to ask the person at the time because I was just so excited, you know, when it was time to go in. Um, but we did, you know, watch the ground because, you know, I did, the last thing you want to do is step on a butterfly. I mean, I don't want that kind of karma. So anyway, you're watching from everywhere. When I, It was incredible. I mean, they're all around and they were on the ground. And when I got back you know, later to my computer, I, or phone, you know, whatever, and I was Googling, you know, what is, um, you know, why were they on the ground? And I found out the dirty truth of butterflies. Um, and I was reading some articles that, yes, this Eden-esque place that I went to was so unbelievably beautiful. I mean, it was truly like a Garden of Eden kind of setup of, you know, the most beautiful plants and tiny little birds and, you know, just overwhelmingly, um, just, you know, every kind of sensation of nature. You can imagine the heat and um, sunshine just pouring through. And um, But you could equally, according to what I read, have a butterfly preserve at a body farm of humans, <laughs> like, you know, where, or a manure, or, you know, a farm. I mean, that butterflies are scavengers, like most insects. Now, they don't chew bodies and things like that because they don't have teeth, but they um, drink 
liquids of any kind and they actually need it they actually need those liquids because what they're living off of most of the time um, nectar isn't enough you know for these um, butterflies to reproduce which is their ultimate um, you know whole mission you know because they don't live very long they only live for I mean once they're in their butterfly stage they only live a few weeks and they're um, going to reproduce and that's what they were telling they did say at the actual reserve preserve is that you know all these butterflies you see every few weeks they're different because they die and others replace them but the only way they can replace them is if they get amino acids which they can't get from the nectar and the flowers they have to get just you know scavenging on the ground or wherever they can get it like if there's been if a child has vomited or if um, um they uh, if there is blood somewhere of any kind or sweat or tears or anything you know from a another animal they will you know look it up <laughs> i mean they i guess i don't know if it's a tongue but they that's called puddling and they um they <laughs> ingest the liquids and that's how they're able to reproduce and that's the only way they can get their things and so they're kind of like these beautiful ethereal things but they're also scavengers and they're like little vampires and so it was very um illuminating and so anyway I'm going to read you the poem that I wrote about learning about all of that and then I, I, I had to come and, and and write this you know write this poem about the dirty truth about butterflies. It's easy for a religiously bred, misled girl to make an Eden of a garden. Angels of winged soon dead, repopulating in three weeks. But love's amino acids, butterflies won't find an agapanthus nectar, waterfalls, forage upon foul, foul ground. Why, guides remind you always to look down. Scavengers fall for proteins essential to reproduce, even from refuse, urine, rot, or mud, tears, also blood. This preserve could have been used manure, corpses, to attract as much as buds. Butterflies adapt to horrors, fairy tales, and innocence also at home in hell. <laughs> and obviously, you know, I'm always like looking at that, you know, the dark side of beautiful things. And, um, you know, just because I, you know, I don't come from a, um, I came from a beautiful house that had a dark side. And, uh, you know, I always am curious, you know, when there's it's like, why are these butterflies on the ground? You know, there's a reason. There's a probably not a pretty reason. And so anyway, that was my processing that information. But, um, you know, it was beautiful. I mean, despite learning everything, maybe even because of learning everything and how, you know, just that three weeks or so of paradise for them, you know, I'm glad they have the beautiful garden. But, um, you know, regardless, they still have to find those amino acids. They still have to get in the muck, you know, as they say. 
So, and, and none of us escape that, you know, in life is, I think, um, we're all kind of right now, like, you know, I'm still dealing with all the issues with my house and I feel like I'm always in, everything is in, um, dust of concrete and, um, I just feel like sometimes it'll never be over, but at the same time, like I wouldn't live anywhere else. I, in my whole life, like my childhood home was not a home to me, but where I live now is a home to me, even in its, you know, torn apart state. And it's gonna be better when everything is finished. So I just try to look forward to that, but I also have been really trying to be mindful of, um, you know, that even when you're in the muck, you know, that's life, and there's beautiful parts of the muck, too, and, um, I'm just in a really zen place right now, and I, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with this podcast, like I said, so I appreciate all of my friends that I think I feel like I bond with people more from this podcast, people will write to me and say, you know, you know, you just kind of have, like, a shortcut of, like, a friendship, you know, because they learn a lot about you, and it's really nice, you know, I feel like it's the first time, like, I just kind of get to put myself out there and fettered with the sonnets, because everything I do, that's the most important thing, but I'm going to read you this poem from Flutter now, and this is one that I wrote also about the short span of lives, first time I read about this, this was with, um, the moths, actually, but it's the same. There were there were moths at the butterfly preserve. They were eating bananas. They, they <laughs> sit around on open bananas, and I don't know if that was supposed. To, maybe they get some kind of um, proteins or something from them. I I, did, I should have looked that up, but I don't know. Maybe somebody can tell me. But um, it was very <laughs> interesting to see. But this is called Hyaloflora Cecropia. It lands atop your lower lip. Wings fan expanse of freckled cheeks. You grip her hand, a sister, near. While it expands wingspan, symbiotic fear. You must understand, the tutor speaks. A lantern light she shines, expires in weeks. It pines the mouth it lost to gain these wings. You have become a shrine, and it is visiting. Familiar cost, you know it well. A mother's love, something they say above is flowering, was changed, then dead. A scarlet fever offering you life instead of winged things. Estranged, who crawled, then sacrificed their mouths to fly, to be ethereal before they died. And that poem, yeah, like when I was doing all my research on Flutter, I was learning about how the, um, you know, these certain moths would actually lose their mouths altogether when they were born, which was such a hor horrible thought, you know, that they were, they finally, you know, reach a state of you know they're flying but they t they gain their wings by losing their mouth and they die of starvation eventually because you know they can't take in any um nourishment so they just die when they starve and it's just it's so creepy but um and I was right you know that story was a fantasy and it had a lot of dark 
and light elements. I'm writing one that's even darker right now called Crow Carriage that'll be out next year in the summer. But um, it's interesting when you like learn those facts and again about the darkness of, of life, you know, and, and how none of us escapes that, you know, we're, there's always something that we sacrifice. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I think about it all the time, you know, I've been doing so much, you know, doing so much writing and being introspective, you can't help but, you know, think about Oh, my foot is going to sleep. I need to change. I'm sitting here on the concrete. <laughs> That's kind of a funny moment in podcasting realism. <laughs> yes, I'm sitting on the concrete because I'm back in where I record. It's one of the places that I like got the most damage, but it has, it's, I just stole my, you know, writing studio. So I want to still use it. But I don't have um, floors, <laughs> so I have this tiny little um, setup, and I sit on the concrete and read you guys these poems. And I mean, it's kind of pathetic, but um, but I feel like I'm still using my writing studio, and someday it will be repair repaired again. But anyway, I'm gonna read you another one, poem, and this one is another butterfly theme poem, but it's from, goes a whole different angle. And so again, some facts I learned about something when I read a book about true crime mashed up with one of my favorite books, which is Lolita, which is a controversial book to have as a favorite book. But at the same time, I think it's controversial only if you look at it as, you know, from a viewpoint of, you know, that writing a depiction of something is an endorsement and I never feel that way I'm you know and I definitely don't think that that was that that, that book in particular was endorsing the behavior it's showing it from I can understand why it makes people uncomfortable and you know I you know it's obviously anybody's choice whether they read it but to me you know I read it knowing I'm reading a viewpoint of a you know terrible terrible person you know whereas like there's been many books and I've read those too and love them where they take on the persona of Lolita or even people who have used that motif or that you know reference in the book but it's their own stories of being um seduced as a younger person and I too myself was you know sexually abused so I mean I have I understand all of that you know, that goes along with it. But um, the actual book was based on a true crime. And um, I wrote a poem, a sonnet called Dark Bloom. And that, because there's a character called Vivian Dark Bloom who wrote in the story, one, she's kind of an interesting character. She's kind of like a Ghislaine Maxwell-like character because she, you know, is a, in, like, there's, a couple of pedophiles in the story and one of them is Claire Quilty who's like a rich you know um playwright character who seduces or abuses Lolita when she's younger she has more of a romantic view of it but at the same time I mean she was definitely there's no question like many people who are abused sometimes you romanticize things but you know that was her first abuser the second is Humbert, Humbert, who is more, 
you know, like he was with her mother and, she, you know, we get the feeling, even though he's telling the story that, you know, you can read in her behaviors and stuff. And even she tells him, you know, she was never in love with him. She was in love with Quilty. And so, you know, you get, you get a little of her perspective, you know, that, uh, that she, you know, this this was kind of the hierarchy of the people. She had less complicated feelings for Humbert Humbert than she did, I think, for um, Claire Quilty. Even though I, you know, both of them are despicable. And but the Dark Bloom character, she um, was a person who worked on a play with Claire Quilty, and then she ends up writing a um, book. And it's also implied, kind of like that she, you know, Lolita, you know, um, implies things that she might have been involved in at least knowing about his proclivities and being okay with it kind of like a Ghislaine Maxwell in our our you know modern times and anyway Vladimir Nabokov um gives that character a um you know uses her name her name is a you know acronym or what's the word I'm having a buzz and I'm like gonna mess it up but the you know her name if you rearrange the letters is his name and um so you automatically it kind of you know points out like a relationship to that character and I think the relationship is he knew that people would think you know that he, in some ways he's an accomplice as an author writing from the viewpoint of these men you know that he has some kind of um, responsibility or, or some kind of, you know, just accomplice level, you know, because he's telling their story. But, um, anyway, I'm going to read the poem. <laughs> um, it, it's called Dark Bloom. Night blossom, hawkish, witchy wiles, love child enlightening with a pedophile. My cue, best book, biography, by art beguiled, Betrothed to Claire Quilty, dress black, ink blue. Lolita floats inside kaleidoscope of butterflies. Wimbling gleams, collector's eyes. Twelve-year-old on index cards. Captured clippings, American bard. True predator. LaSalle, pretender. FBI, preteen thief, a nickel shy. Cross-country kidnap road trip date. True criminal, Humbert, motif, 1948. Guilt's a glittered ode. Nabokov still hides inside thorned dark blooms. One anagram, two authors tangled tomb. So, um, yeah, th I had read this great book, and I right now it's gonna the name is gonna escape me too but um I'll find I'll find it out and post it on Twitter I've written um a column about it before but it was a biography or a true crime book about Lolita and the case that inspired it because they have you know he did write about Lolita on index cards um while he went on a trip about watching butterflies and that inspired him things he was learning about butterflies and just these things you know kind of conflating together but also that there was this true crime that had happened where a teenage girl who was in a um like a drugstore and she had shoplifted and she um and 
like this man comes up and he's all in a suit and looks, you know, professional and everything and tells her that he's a police officer and he just saw her shoplifting and he's going to take her with him. And, you know, she think believes him, you know, she's a young girl and he she thinks he's a, you know, plain clothes policeman. And anyway, he doesn't, you know, he's not a policeman at all. And he takes her and he goes on a whole road trip, which um, that's in Lolita, like Humbert Humbert, he takes her on a road trip too once her mother dies. And, you know, he doesn't want people in the town to know, oh, I'm, I can't stay here and be with this teenage girl, but if I go on all these road trips and just take her to a bunch of different places, people won't know our relationship, you know, and maybe I can get away with this. And that's what this man did in real life to this girl. Um, and until he was caught, it was a long time, she was on the road with him and, and actually went to schools. He enrolled her in schools, said he was her father, you know, and obviously she participated in, which you can understand. I mean, just like Elizabeth Smart or different um, people who have been abused who, I mean, it's, you know, awful. You know, I mean, like you're a young girl and you're with a psychopath like this. I mean, I can understand. I mean, you definitely do what you do to survive. And, you know, she definitely um, kind of, you know, played along at times. And, and who would, you know, blame her? So, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a crazy story. But it kind of shows, I think, you know, in reading that book, you know, he knew he was reading a story of a crime. And he was telling that, you know, story of a crime. He chose the point of view of the criminal in that story but um you know and we and there's like I said I've read some great books that you know tell the story from the other point of view and you know but anyway it's it's a you know another another thing I've written about butterflies and um that it goes in different places. I had another sonnet that I was going to read that was like sexual. And I guess I'll go ahead. I feel it's weird now because I've been just talking about true crime and whatever. But all, this is going all different kinds of places. So I'll read it and then I'll, I'll end this. But just understand we've gone from Mother Nature and the dirty truth of, um, you know, butterflies to like, you know, the butterflies and Nabokov. Now we're moving into time that I have written myself about butterflies in a totally different context and that was in my book The Meadow and I'm going to read a poem that I wrote a sonnet called Crowded Lessons for Young Butterflies and it was a sonnet that I wrote about the first time that I um, participated in asphyxia <laughs> well, you know and um, when I was in the BDSM world and I was staying in San Francisco, and I had, um, like, you know, I the relationship I had with my main dom, I had just broken up with him, and then I started this other relationship, but, it, it, you know, it was not really going to work out, and it was an open relationship, and I had always been curious about um, my other, last dom, he didn't like, you know, asphyxia, which is like, you know, choking things, and I mean you know, done it. I, you know, was safe about it, but, um, you know, anyway, I, you know, I was very shy about writing this and I feel really embarrassed, you know, reading this now, but at the same time, it was something that I like sought out. And so, uh, 
I was I had heard about this man when I was in San Francisco who um we had kind of a reputation of being like a heavy player in the BDS scene but very BDSM I feel like it can't, I feel like I, I just, you know through that word sometimes because I'm so like a little embarrassed but he had a reputation of being really into that particular thing and you know I was curious and he had a good reputation thing that was good at that time that when I was involved was that I you know um I was in the circle of people who all knew each other and you could like oh I'm going to be in this city and there's this person who is very good at this and you could contact five people who had had experiences with them and you would get and you know oh kind of like a review (laughs) you know and it made you feel safe and also when I met him he um had I, we w- did this and his girlfriends um he had a polyamorous relationship but he had a girlfriend who was in college and he met we did this in her college dorm room though she was not there but she met me with him and like you know kind of broke the ice I guess together and then she left and <laughs> this was all in this stranger's dorm room and so anyway I better read this this is Every week I get longer in these podcasts, so I hope I don't get so long that y'all don't listen anymore, but, um, okay. Carotid lessons for young butterflies. First time you float in some girl's dorm room. Exchange quick goodbyes, nom de plume. It's clear her dom has used this place before. Assume he wants you on the floor. Instead, austere, he'll lend a hand, then find your throat as soon as you can stand. Against her fairy wall, ephemera, soul remote, you will swoon for some blurring god, Google exec, who calls you princess, won't fuck you, though he's erect. A god has limitations, too, ardors much harder than he is for you. Collects wet wing insects with an internet for carotid lessons for young butterflies who never forget the first time they fly. So, <laughs> so it's, you know, butterflies have good memories for me and butterfly preserves. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> I'm going to go find something to cuddle up with. Uh, probably my unicorn. And maybe put on something to watch and um, get some sleep. (laughs) But I've had a really great time talking to you guys. And I enjoy doing this every week. And I hope um, next week I already know what I'm going to do. And I'm excited about it. It's going to be very, um, it's not going to be a Christmas stocking. It's going to be a sock slut. (laughs) So look forward to that. But in the meantime... I want to just say good night and thank you for listening to Kristen Whispers Sonnets. Talk to you next week. Kristen Whispers Sonnets. Join me for a sonnet bedtime treat.